Welcome to the Empowered Badass Breeder Podcast, hosted by Jeanette Forey. The podcast that's elevating the way the breeding profession is done by not only changing breeding from bad to badass, but healing hearts and changing lives through the power of a dog. Each week, Jeanette is taking hundreds of breeders on this mission and journey with her. She's sharing her secrets related to breeding, puppy curriculum, and evaluation techniques while focusing on promoting ethical and dog-centered breeding practices, while also educating the public to buy smarter to defund puppy mills and ill-intentioned backyard breeders. Our dogs deserve more. Now, without further ado, here's your host, Jeanette Forey. All right, welcome to class three of the Badass Breeder courses. Today we're going to tackle whelping, delivery whelping, and that, that word is very synonymous. Whelping can be pregnant and delivering, and, and not necessarily pregnant, but delivering and then having a litter of puppies. But uh, generally we call delivery and then, of course, post-delivery with newborn. So anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to cruise through that care so welcome again. Happy Wednesday. Hope everybody is doing well. If you've got uh, paper and pen and some notes, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of stuff. If you've whelped and delivered before, a lot of this just is a review for you. Maybe a few new little tips or tricks, something that might work better for you in the process. When I started teaching, I just, I'll be honest, you kind of just think if you've done something enough or delivered enough, you just think it's kind of uh, common sense and not to be mean because if you don't know, you don't know, right? And when I started sharing, people were like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it. I'm like, really? Like, okay. So, you know, hopefully even if it's just something little, one little tweak to help you in delivery or taking care of newborns, that is my goal. If you haven't had any litters or you've had very few, again, hopefully this will help give you a jump start so you are prepared to deliver and raise puppies. So let's get started. First and foremost, it's about honoring the mom's instincts. I think too often we try to interfere too much and too quickly. When we are hovering and petting and talking, we can actually delay labor because the dog is literally, and especially if it's your dog or a dog that lives with you even more so, um, or even, even a guardian that, that now is feeling all this pressure from you, you don't realize it, but you're feeling a little anxious, a little excited, and they feel that from you. And so when you're sitting there petting them while they're in labor, they're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. <laughs> they're like, why all this pressure? Like, what's going on? And then they're not listening to their own instincts. We have had uh, deliveries delayed, which then resulted in stillborns at the end because we were delaying uh, labor by too much petting, too much talking, too much pr pressure, not emotional Pressure. I'm not talking like putting actual pressure on your dog. I'm talking about emotional pressure on the dog, but then they're not focused on what they're supposed to be focused on. So I think that first and foremost, be very, very careful about that. If they're looking to you, focused on you, you're petting, when you move, they're watching. Sometimes it's best you remove yourself completely. This is when I really recommend getting cameras when we feel that we're really delaying things by even being in the box, in the room with them, we'll go log into our cameras, we'll evacuate and leave because then they can truly in their own space and the quietness of uh, their own space, they can listen to their instincts. We do delay labor, we can delay labor. So be really careful about that, not coddling and, and telling them what to do and how to do it. Let them, I think the best deliveries are ones where when we have the moms lead with their instincts. The caveat to that, of course, everything we talk about is never 100%. There are some moms that absolutely need help. 
and a lot of help. They absolutely need you there the entire time because they're panicking and you almost have to, it's almost like training to be like, enough, you need to stop. Like you almost feel bad having to almost correct them when they're in labor, but if it helps them settle and uh, helps it be an easier delivery for them, it could save puppies. You have to do it. You know, there's times we have to kind of get on them and let them know, like, we're not going to do this. You're going to stay in the box. We're going to calm down, you know, no pacing or whatever. And I, I mean, not the normal pacing, but you'll know when they're interfering with their own ability to deliver. And at those times, I always say you may need to step in and let them know that they, you know, they need to settle down or whatever, depending on the situation. Okay. So what we do is we monitor for monitor for 24 hours prior when we hit day 58. On average, a gestation is 63 days. So five days prior, uh, puppies are viable, even six. We've had it six early as six and a half days early. We just had one not long ago. I was a little nervous about that. We were getting the incubator set up and had the vet on call. So I'm like, well, we may be having some premature puppies. It ended up fine. Everything was flawless, beautiful delivery. But when we hit that five days before, this is when we really start getting our females settled. So spending more time where they're going to deliver, spending time in their whelping box, feed them in the whelping box if they need to, put their favorite bed or toys in the whelping box. They sleep a lot when it gets to that point. So I want them napping and sleeping as much as possible in the whelping box as well. Getting acquainted, getting situated, feeling safe that, hey, this is where you're going to deliver. This is where your puppies will be. And I want you to feel comfortable in this area. We provide the whelping box, of course, in a quiet, safe place. It's to not recommend at all having it right in the middle of your front room unless you have a very quiet, controlled house, uh, usually a, a back room or off a, a formal dining room off to the side. You put some fencing up or something. And especially if you have more than one dog in your house, I cannot caution it enough that you have to be very careful after a female delivers on how protective she could become and her once pal, even if she's been raised with another dog, there could incite some fighting. And then what happens is the mom dog will jump up to bark to protect her puppies and step on them and they die. It's happened to me more than once, unfortunately, not just because another dog walks by, but because someone rings the doorbell, take the doorbell off, put duct tape on your doorbell, leave a note, do not ring my doorbell, whatever it takes, whatever makes your dog bark. Now, She's going to be even heightened to that when she has a litter and her jumping up to protect. They're not always paying attention where those puppies are. And especially a standard size female with a 10 ounce puppy, one step on them and you're going to lose that puppy there. You know, you can't go in and repair broken ribs and to puncture lungs or whatever. And it's, it's a terrible thing. You have to euthanize. You have to put them out of their suffering. And if I could help you avoid that, I would. We, like I said, it's happened a few times to us and it is incredibly heart-wrenching because they're a perfectly healthy puppy. They were in the safety of their whelping box by their mom. And the irony is their mom actually killed them, you know, and it's horrible. And so keep things quiet, especially after put fencing up, even if it's not about the dog being contained, it's about them feeling safe. I'm going to say that twice because people get all upset about, oh, they're in a kennel. They should be in a home. Doesn't Even in your home, you should have them fenced off. It's so they start to feel safe. 
It's not about they have to be locked behind a fence. It's about them feeling safe. There are some moms that people have had to go to the extremes of trying to cover, bring fencing up to the side and try to cover the whelping box, really creating a den to ensure the safety of the puppies and that the mom can settle and relax and feel safe. Understand your, you know, these are her instincts. And in the wild, dogs deliver in the ground in a hole. So imagine how safe, quiet, and dark that is. Compare that to where you're going to have your females whelp. Just a, a few things to think about. And then we provide a blanket so they can nest and dig and do all that. We, we're providing them the opportunity to do whatever they need to do. So here's your whelping box. Here's your blanket. You can nest and move. They'll pull them inside. They'll pull them outside. You know, some are more silly than others. Some will shred them and try to eat them. So be careful with that, just depending how they nest. We do all of that environment for them so they can start doing that prior to delivery. All right, let's talk about preparing for delivery. What should you truly have on hand before your litter comes or even before your next litter comes? Here are my go-tos must-have. We have a cart, and I know a lot of you too have carts. I see them online. Ours is a little bit larger than most of yours. I got it at Home Depot. They're rolling cart sections. There's some other little ones you guys have that like their little cute trays and they're colored. You know, whatever works for you. We go through a lot of pads, so we like the space. We love the rolling cart because we can just roll it from one whelping stall to another if you have more than one litter. Um, and it's nice too, just that it's movable, but it's not necessary. You can have it on a table next to you as well. I used to have everything on the floor next to me when I would deliver. So I also have this whelping chart preparation checklist in the guide. It is in the forms in the back. Here's what it looks like. So I'm just going to cruise through that but it is also in the guide, okay? So number one, washcloths. This is what we use to, we buy the, the ones that, so we have this little box that we can just take off to and put it right in the whelping box. It's kind of like our little portable. And we put the, uh, I have just for the newborn puppies, I, I just taped this, Velcroed it to this little food scale. And it's just so much easier having those big scales and trying to tote them around, you know? So we use this for delivery. It all can fit in this little tiny, like, oh, they're starting to push a puppy out. We just grab this one thing and bring it right in with us or right next to us. So we have the scale. And then we do the Walmart $5 washcloths. I tell you, these washcloths have gone through. We just have a huge stack. We use approximately three to five, I know, I'm crazy, three to five washcloths per puppy. So if you're thinking uh, that you could have more, and then there's other times where you're wiping down mom or some puppies need more, some need less, but on average, I'd say three to five washcloths per puppy. We stack a huge pile of washcloths. I'll lay them on the side of the whelping box. So as we're delivering, we can just grab them. They're anywhere. Hannah, Hannah, is that Valerie's checking out Hannah photobombing? Valerie has a Hannah puppy. That's how I met Valerie. She bought one of my puppies. So we, we could just grab them and wipe up, wipe the puppies off. Okay, scissors. We have a couple of generally the more blunt kid-friendly scissors for the ribbons around their neck. You can have sharper ones as well if you need to cut cords. So we do have, I, we do this one to cut the cords if we have to. And then this one like for the ribbons because it's a little bit more of a blunt edge. It doesn't, I'm not saying ribbons are the only way to mark a puppy. Do what you got. Some people like the paracord. Some people like the Velcro. I've tried the Velcro. I hate them personally. I hate trying to stick them on. And they, they have given my puppies sores on their neck because they're hard and stiff. And the puppies, you know, when they curl up it started to cut into them even though we're like it's not that they're too tight it's just that when you wear something on your neck that you can't actually bend so I hate the velcro but I know a lot of you love the, the paracord some people will 
paints the tip of a tail. I don't know. I, I started with ribbon. I am a diehard ribbon fan for many different reasons. We've never, knock on wood, ever had a safety issue with the ribbon. We change them every day. They do fray and get kind of yucky, but we're changing them every day. So we have them, of course, we have ready to go for our next litter, all the colors of our ribbons. Quick stop. Have quick stop in your delivery cart if you've got a bleeder. Sometimes you just... We can just quick open it, dump it on there generally and not generally, but if you then you have a bleeder and then you have some congestion you have to clear, like you have to start picking, well, what am I going to do? I've been holding cords and trying to get, you know, liquid out of them at the same time. And so this has helped delay a little bit. So I, before I could get it tied off, like let's get the bleeding stop or if it's so dang close right to the belly that there's not a whole lot to tie off, I'll dump this right on it. Now you can't give it back to the mom. The mom will look this off. And two, if the puppy is scooting on their belly, like they do, it will all wipe off. So I usually hold them and help wait for the bleeding to stop. But if you can tie it or pinch it, that's ideal. But I, we have had to use this. I'm glad I have it. Then we have the white yarn. You can use dental floss. I don't just because, I mean, I'm older. I'm not 20, even 30 anymore, and my hands don't work as well. And so the, the yarn to me is so much easier to quick do a tie. I can do a quick loop put the cord in there and boom, tie it. And I double tie it and then stops the bleeding like that. Dental floss works too. I love this. We've also tried and have had to use again really quickly. And if there's not a second set of hands, you got to think about if it's just you delivering, tying off a cord is difficult with just one person. Um, these little tiny binder clips and we, I just clip the cord that's bleeding real quick and I can go back and tie it with this hanging on it. You can also do one of these, can't even think of what it's called, but you can do the, the medical clamps and clamp the cord. The problem is, is this is kind of heavy and hanging on a little tiny puppy, then it's one more thing I'm trying to navigate. So it, it depends. If I have to still clear fluid, I'm not going to put this on the puppy because I'm trying to hemostat. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> the hemostat. I'm not going to try to clear fluid from a puppy and then have this hanging from them. Like I just found it to be a little cumbersome, made me a little nervous. So I would just do do this. But the fluid feels good and I'm by myself. So I only have one set of hands. I will put the hemostats on there a little bit away so I've got some space to tie. This does give me some weight to hold the cord down, get the yarn on and be done. Okay. So, I mean, sometimes it's just, you will be in the situation of having to stop bleeding and clear the fluid at the same time. So just try to have everything there. So it's, again, you have it all in your box. You can just grab it and it's all right next to you. Two heating pads. We always have two and I'll show you the two different types of heating pads we have why I will only put the one type in the whelping box after for the first two weeks after delivery. So we have the kind that I love these, the sunbeam. Here's where the cord goes and this whole thing gets washed and it's all one piece. Do you know what that means? Puppies can't wiggle in somewhere and get stuck in the whelping pad. So you just plug it in right here. And the other thing that's difficult with heating pad is not all of them have a auto stay on and this one does that's what my little puppy sitting here next to me in intensive care right now is on an auto stay on i never have to worry about the heating pad turning off the other types of heating pads i would never put this kind in the whelping box where you have to put the cover over because puppies have gotten trapped in there they've slipped under the cover into the whelping pad and overheated and died not for me not i haven't had one but it can happen so we will use these during delivery because 
we usually use these where there's not a ton of blood and yucky stuff getting on them. This is what we use in the whelping box after delivery. And we use these where we can just bleach them down, lay a blanket on it or slip the cover. We're in the box with them, but it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you can use this for both. You don't even have to buy these. I already had them. So we use these generally for delivering. We use the other ones for the whelping box after. Why don't I do a heat lamp? I think they're dangerous or scary. If the mom accidentally knocks it over, it could start a fire. Uh, we had a whole shed our chicken coop burned down to the ground with a lot of chicks and chickens in it from a heating lamp. Now, I know it fell into to hay, but it still can happen. The other thing, too, is that it's much harder to regulate heat, and it's much harder for the mom to move away from the heat. I mean, it's just constant up there, and I never want my moms to have to choose between cooling down and staying with their puppies. The heating pad we place right in the middle of the whelping box, okay? So the moms lay on the outside, right? So she's not even on the heating pad. She's not being overheated. Moms run warm. The puppies need the warmth. The puppies can move on and off the heating pad. It's underneath the whelping pad. We put them underneath the whelping pad. Plus, if the moms do ruffle it all up, again, puppies can't get into the heating pad. It's all one uh, fabric. There's no way they can slip into it. That's just my take on uh, heating lamps. If it's worked for you, you figured it out, great. I, I just, I would never, ever use a heating lamp for my whelping boxes. We do do the, there's the pans too you can do. And of course, those of you that have really nice facilities with the heated floor, I am jealous. <laughs> Believe me, I would love the heated floor whelping box with a, you know, you have the custom-made whelping box into the structure and a heated floor with a drain. Like, that's my dream. Okay. But we all can't have that, can we? So we do the heating pad. We have a lot of whelping pads, bed pads, potty pads, depending on what you prefer to use. This is what we found works best for us. We have, we actually use, uh, uh, for the most part, our whelping pads. When they get holes in them or bleach marks from using them for raising litters, we put them on the delivery cart. So they're kind of our crappy ones rather than throwing them away. We kind of recycle. So it's like, if I went and take pictures with them or do video for curriculum for my litter after they deliver, the whelping pad looks like crap. Then they go on the delivery cart. We use them for delivery. So we have a lot of these. We can quick just switch them out or tuck them back under the mama in situations where there is... Some moms are just a lot, have a lot more fluid than others. We have the bed pads that have the plastic on the one side. They're for humans. We have those too. <laughs> the, they're the bed pads. They're for sick people that are wetting the bed or, you know, that are wearing diapers or that are in intensive care and they're fabric and they have a plastic pink side, my minor pink, a plastic pink side. So when there's a lot of fluid and they're smaller, I can just pick up the hind legs, slip that under them while they're still delivering and give them another dry, clean surface. And then just take them out, throw them, we throw them over the fence and uh, just start a big pile of dirty laundry. So a lot of people use potty pads. I used to, but like I'll go through a whole big box when I can just wash the laundry. So I we just don't really, I, we have a few on here in case we need it, but I'd rather not be wasteful and contribute to the landfill if I can help it. I always feel like, well, then you're using water to wash them too. So which is worse? I don't know, using water to, to wash more or creating more garbage, I don't, you know, whatever you feel best with. But some people love the potty pads to have them deliver on and they just keep pulling them out and throwing them away. So just make sure you have enough. You're going to have to change the bedding a few times, especially if it's a larger litter. Again, some moms are really clean and there's very little fluid in some. 
are not so clean. It's green, it's bloody, there's a lot of amniotic fluid. It's just a wet, wet. We've had them soak through our wood boxes with so much fluid before. So it, again, it just depends on everything else. So we're prepared, we got tons of pads on here. A water bowl, something that so many people forget that you don't wanna have to get up and get. And then you can have a bottle of water with you on the cart. So again, you don't have to get up and leave to offer your mom water. So we always have a bottle of water and a bowl ready to offer them water. We do these little black buckets that you put the heating pad in and then put puppies in as well. So that's why we have the two heating pads. One is in the bucket. As soon as they start pushing, we get the heating pad in the bucket. We get it turned on. There will be times you'll have to quick collect puppies and put them in the bucket to attend to mom. If you have a stuck puppy, if your mom's kind of flipping out and panicking and spinning and you're trying to help her and help the puppy coming out and there's puppies all under her, like quick. That's why I love putting them on these uh, larger pad, the uh, heating pads. I always keep puppies on it. We've got live with deliveries and someone said, I never thought of that. I'm like, I didn't even realize I did it like they're like that was that was so helpful so as, as they're delivering I keep tucking all, all the puppies on the heating pad up by her so they can nurse right so for the most part all my puppies are on this heating pad then if we start to have an issue I just pull the heating pad underneath me or off to the side or very carefully depends how many are on here, I'll pick them up like this and put them in the bucket. Like I can move them quickly if, if I need to. And, and you may not have to, but trust me when it happens and you need to get them out of the box safe so you can help, you're gonna appreciate a fast and efficient way to do that and a warm place to put them because warmth is huge. You cannot, you do not want your puppies getting chilled. It causes a lot of issues. So two heating pads at least, one's already in the bucket heated, ready to be used, and then have one with you in the box, keeping those wet puppies on. We do dry them off really, really well after they're delivered. I mean, we rub them really, really well, get as much of the moisture, the fluid off of them, then weigh them. I don't want long wet cords on them and I don't want them sopping wet before I weigh them because it's gonna be skewed and then it's gonna look like they lost more weight than they really did in 24 hours. So try to get the cord taken care of and get them dry before we weigh. That's another little tip too. Okay, we also have a leash on our cart and a flashlight. If you have to walk your, at some point you're gonna to to take your mom out and walk her. She has to go potty, she needs to walk. The labor's kind of delayed. She's just kind of having a hard time. She's getting tired. The best thing you do is get her up and take her on a little walk. Take some washcloths with you in case she delivers outside. It does happen. Have a leash ready. And it, depending on your area and how well lit it is, we've got the farm here. So there's some darker areas at night. We bring the flashlight as well. Have that on your cart ready to go. Coconut oil. <laughs> I just buy the human grade coconut oil, use this. If we have to do a vaginal check, I'll just put gloves on, take some oil. We'll do a vaginal check if we feel like, if the mom is pushing when it gets close to two hours, I'm going to do that before I rush her to the vet. I have saved many moms from going because we have either been able to kind of push the puppy back up, get her out and walk her, get that puppy moved. Do like the wheelbarrow where you grab her hind legs, have someone help you grab her hind legs and elevate them so that the puppies go back down toward her heart, right? Her head's down like a wheelbarrow. So you're pulling up the hind end of the dog, getting all the puppies back off that birth canal because there might be one legs laying sideways. So you can do the wheelbarrow, you can do the vaginal check and feel, do we have a puppy stuck? What's going on? And sometimes just moving stuff a little bit 
then then she'll start pushing really good again from the walk and the vaginal check and the wheelbarrow maneuver. We also use it if we have a stuck puppy for lubricant. So if we've got a puppy half in, half out, generally because it's too dry or the puppy's too big, most often it's a combination of two, but sometimes it's not that they're not that large, it's that they're dry. They're not in their sack and she's really dry. The puppy's really dry. You don't have a lot of time. You can lather up, get the coconut oil around her as much as you can. Get a dry washcloth, grab the hind end if it's coming out breech or grab the shoulders if you can. And when she pushes, gently help pull that puppy. You've got to help her get that puppy out. We've had them come out head first and then just stop at the neck. And then the puppy would kind of keep getting sucked back in. So it got to the point the puppy was not in the sack. So when it gets sucked back in, you know, that was always a concern for me. So I ended up just using my fingers and holding him um, right at the exit of the, the private area. Uh, so that he couldn't get sucked back in. We got her up into the wheelbarrow or the opposite way, held her up, head up to get some weight lubed. And when she pushed, I pulled and we got him out. And he was fine. Like he's, he's five years old now. So you just got to kind of be creative. You will at some point, unfortunately, need lube. And I just love this. It's, and, you know, it's healthy and all natural. We do coconut oil and dry washcloths to help. Uh, I know you can buy like special gloves and stuff, but I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and put on a glove. Like I already have my washcloths, right? Because we have them all over the whelping box. We have them right next to us. Use a dry washcloth to help get traction to pull a puppy if you have to. Only when she pushes very, very gently. Okay. All right, delivery forms and pens. We do have a document in the guide that you can keep track of ribbon color or however you want to color them, the gender, the time of birth. The time of birth is so important and the weight of birth are the two things I said, if, if anything, it doesn't really matter the birth order. We just do it because you're sitting there doing it, right? But the time of birth is important because we have rules about when we have to interfere, what our protocol is, like when should we worry? And we'll go over that in a minute. But so make sure though, you've got your pen and your paper there to document all of that and a watch or a clock or your phone so that you can keep track of the time. Time is of the essence and it's very important and I'll tell you our, our protocol of when you should worry here shortly. And a scale, we already went over that, have a scale to weigh, newborn collars, yarn, we covered that. Your vet's phone number should be on dial as well. I know it seems silly, but you don't want to have to try to find your vet's phone number, right? So make sure if your vet is not programmed into your phone, you do it today. And they're in there, so if you call, they have it. And then I always say a phone, a computer charger as well. So if your phone dies, and depending where you're sitting at, just get yourself prepared. Snacks for you, water for you. You could be sitting there for 10 hours. I also have, um, not that I do a whole lot of deliveries now. Oh, it's still on the cart. I have a little butt pillow because sitting in that wooden box hurts my bum. It hurts my knees. It hurts my back. You guys, I, God love Kelly, who's older than I am. Like she can sit in that box all night. I'm always like, Kelly, your pillow, your pillow. She's like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. She's moving around so much. I had hurt. It hurts me. Like it's a, it's physically exhausting sitting in a box for that long. So take care of yourself to make sure you have what you need, chargers, some fluids, uh, you know, Gatorade, something that you enjoy, some snacks, make sure you're all set up too so you don't have to get up and leave uh, during delivery 
But if you have some there to help you, then that's fine too. These bulbs, <laughs> I I personally don't use them. I've never had to use them. I remove the fluid a different way, but you can just make sure if you do that, you always push all the air out first, then go into the mouth and pull up um, into the cheeks and you go down the throat a little bit and try to suck it out. But I'll talk to you when we get through delivery to what I do and why I haven't ever needed them. Calcium. We do Orcal Plus because it's easy. You can order on like Revival Animal Health. I think they now you can do it through Amazon through them. But this is super easy. It will tell you how much. You just spin this little gauge, pop it in their mouth. We do it halfway through delivery. I know. I've seen all of the 100 million posts about calcium and pregnant and moms that deliver. I have continued to be cautioned about too much calcium because if you are producing giving them too much calcium especially through pregnancy their body will stop producing it and you can have issues like eclampsia serious serious issues i have never messed around with calcium i feed them their whole nutritious kibble we do some supplements during the pregnancy and then during delivery i only administer calcium once and i estimate because we don't do x-rays i don't know how many puppies are in there unless we had to do an x-ray i estimate about halfway and we give calcium now that's not to say that with the larger litter they may need calcium again at the end i don't think that that's wrong either we just haven't really seen that that's ever been effective or needed we've just done it one time halfway through the dosage is on this, depending on how much your female weighs. That is what we do. There is so much. You go type that into a Facebook group right now, and holy hell, you will get a hundred different answers, and they all will be different. People are so passionate about calcium, and unfortunately, I think it's being over-administered, and that is a problem. Calcium, to date, has not really been shown to have any influence on I've looked, I've asked, and I get breeders that have been breeding for a long time. So if you want to believe in this or try it, just make sure that you know who's recommending it. Always ask, please, before you take advice like this, ask, well, how many litters have you had? How long have you been breeding? Please just ask those two really important questions before you start taking advice by someone that's had two or three litters. Please, like I've been breeding for 15 years, I've had over 1,200 puppies or whatever. Like, okay, I think I will follow your recommendation. So just number one, please. I know it's so easy to read all this stuff on on the internet and on Facebook groups, and it's interesting when you start asking the questions, well, how many litters have you had? There's one person particularly that's all over Facebook giving advice to people. One, she's never had a litter in her life. Two, another one's had two litters, two litters, and they're going around telling everybody what to do. Like, it, it makes me a little bit sick, honestly, and you don't even know because you're like, oh, it sounds like they're good writers, right? And they're always responsive. You're like, all right, this is great. Please, I cannot stress it enough to ask. Okay, so beyond that, though, one thing I hear and see a lot is anytime there's an issue with the mom rejecting their puppies, uh, killing their puppies, any kind of funny behavior issue, what does everybody say? Give them calcium. I can't. There is no that I have found. I have asked. I've talked to reprovets. I've talked to veterinarians. There is no documented evidence that calcium's, calcium has anything to do with behavior. Now, if you find a breeder that's been breeding long enough that you support for how long and how many litters and how often they've encountered it, how much was the dose? How often did they give? What kibble were they on? Do you see there's so many freaking factors we don't ask? Well, what food would they be feeding? 
right? Well, what if the food they're feeding on is old Roy? So they're, they're deficient in all their nutrients they need, and they swear that the weird behavior of their dog is from extra calcium. But when you look at it, there's so many other variables. This is the problem that breeders are not doing, is we're not asking those questions. So it has to go back to, well, what was the dog fed? How was the dog eating? Has this dog had a litter before? That's why it's so hard to compile uh, data is because of all the variables. That is one reason why we have such limited information about everything breeding is because of all the variables. So keep that in mind. I personally have not seen with over, now we're at 1500 puppies, 10 years of breeding, any correlation to behavior issues and calcium, never have not seen that. We have had some behavior issues. None of it was addressed through calcium. It was addressed through jumping their shit and telling them to knock it off. Let's be real. Like you're not going to do that. And then praising and praising and marking. Hey, you're licking your puppies. You're being nice to your puppies. Yes. Yes. You growl. Boom. You get corrected. No, that took care of it. Not another dose of calcium. Some training and uh, letting them know what was allowed, just kind of like anything in life. Not to say that they're not calcium deficient, because they could be when you look at all the variables on diet and health leading up to the fact. But again, we have found halfway through one time has been our protocol, and we've been very knock on wood, lucky, blessed for that. Okay, I think we have it all the cart. <laughs> all right, let's talk about. There's two stages of labor, shall we? And let's talk about protocol and timing because this is when you start really uh, keeping track of the time. It starts even really before they start pushing because you want to know how long are they in stage one. Two stages of labor, stage one, stage two. Some have called it pre-labor and active labor. It doesn't matter. There's two different parts of labor. The first is... They start feeling uncomfortable. They're pacing. They could be vomiting, normal. Probably follow my notes, so I make sure I cover everything. But pacing, vomiting, lack of eating at this point. Some will eat completely fine. Some, like Juliet, Valerie, will be eating and push out a puppy at the same time. So there are no hard, fast rules. Every mama is different, but it's important to kind of know what are they like before even going into labor? What are their eating habits? What are their sleeping habits? What are their nesting habits? So that you can make any remarkable or unremarkable difference leading up to delivery. It's all of those little things combined. Well, she's now, she's never slept, never taken a nap in a whelping box. Now she's in her whelping box. She's never nested. Now she's nesting. We mark all of that down on that paper. The very first paper that should be on your clipboard, the form in the guide, the prior to delivery protocol. There's a spot for notes. We're marking all of that down. Um, so any changes in behavior, we note. So that's kind of leading up to it. Refusal to eat may be a symptom. Vomiting is generally, it's getting close. You're going to start seeing restlessness and intermittent resting. So a lot more pacing. Dogs wanting to go in and outside a lot because they're starting to feel pressure. A lot of panting. A dog that's in pain is sitting and panting. They're not resting. So when we have intermittent resting where it's like, okay, we're seeing some pacing, panting, digging, spinning. Oh, now they sleep for two hours. Okay, puppies aren't coming soon, but they are coming, you know, so it's not like pitch your tent, sit outside the kennel and be ready, but it is coming. It's time to start watching. That's why we're watching 24 hours anyway. At that point, when we start to see intermittent resting and some pacing, but we're, we're still getting some good rest, we're, we're checking the cameras every two hours around the clock. That's when we hit every two hours. The wanting to hide, especially if it's in your home and now they're starting to go and hide. 
you may feel contractions, their belly getting really, really hard, and their temperature could change. Again, it's one of those things that could be a really nice indicator, or it may not be at all. So it's just, again, we start compiling behavior changes. How much are they pacing and panting and restless? How much are they still sleeping? And what is their temperature? We do start taking their temperature when it gets to 58 days. Generally, the temperature will drop when it gets to be 98, they'll deliver. A normal temperature is a 100, 101. So when you see, okay, we're at 101, 101, now today we're at 100, or you know, the third day, and then 99, then 98, start watching that dog a lot. I've also seen though, many times we get 100, 100, 99, 98, and we're like, oh my gosh, let's get ready. 99, 100, 100, 198 deliver. So I've seen it bounce around many times. It's not an end-all be-all. It's still part of collecting information about your female and changing, you know, if she's in labor or not. Some moms are very dramatic during even labor, even when it's not even that close. And some moms are so composed and hide it. One minute they seem fine, and the next minute you're like, shit, they're pushing. Like, where did this come from? So just be prepared when you hit 58 days gestation. Have your cart ready. Be ready. Have your fridge stocked with food. Cancel all your plans because it could be happening at any time. You may have very little notice because your mom hides it better than others. So, Okay, active. Now, when do we move into active two? I will only allow a dog to be in stage one for two days. But if it's like no resting, like how did we know we should have taken Hollis, one of our recent litters, to the vet? She was for two days, 24 hours, really, 24 hours, no resting. I was done. I'm like, you're going to the vet. Once we hit 24 hours with her of no, and the 24 previous was intermittent resting. And then the next 24 was, it was like she was literally in active labor. I swore she was going to push at any moment. And she never did. 24 hours up, and I'm like, that's it, to the vet. She ended up being a C-section. She wasn't progressing correctly. And then it, it takes a toll on your puppies. You know, their, their heart rates will drop. You'll start losing them just like humans. So that's, that, that's my protocol there. 24 hours of really active stage one where there's no resting. They're just panting, pacing. Look, like they turn around and look at their bottom like, what the hell is going on? What's going on down there? Like they feel this pressure, right? And they keep staring at their bottom. Then they go outside because they feel pressure. They come back in. They pant. They spin. They dig. They lay down, but they're still panting. They get back up. They go back up. Like that is very, fairly intense. And especially if they never rest again. After that, we start the timer. Boom. If we, we continue to see that for 24 hours and no pushing, off to the vet they go. But stage two is when they start pushing. You're going to make note of when they start pushing because we need a puppy within two hours. That is my threshold. If we're pushing, actively pushing for two hours with nothing. Prior to that, though, at about an hour of pushing, we get them up, we walk them. I may do a vaginal check, get them moved on the other side, um, do the wheelbarrow, uh, walk them again, get them a drink, let them rest, leave, because sometimes it's just simply us being there, leave and see, okay, if I leave, now do they feel comfortable doing what they need to do because they're so focused on me that they're not, leave the area, watch on camera, uh, and see if they can get that puppy out. But at two hours, that's when we start heading to the vet because something's not right. They're not able to get the puppy out. So start your clock 
an hour pushing is when you can just make note, try some supportive care, I guess is what you could call it. Let's walk. Let's get some water. Let's lay them on the other side. Let's do a vaginal check. Let's do the wheelbarrow and just kind of move things back a little bit because we're pushing and pushing and, you know, the puppy's not coming out. I will caution, just a little caution, puppies that are hard to get out can be stillborn. So I always just mentally prepare a little bit like, man, this puppy's far harder for this dog to get out than the last six. I just do my little mental preparation. Be ready because we could have a stillborn. Dead puppies are harder to deliver. It's just the reality. Not not necessarily. We have plenty that take a while to get out. Most puppies are just fine, um, but they can need more aggressive care immediately, more rubbing, get the fluid out of their lungs. If they've been being pushed on for two hours, it's not easy on them. It's not. Hot. So I just start mentally preparing like, all right, come on, let's bring it on. I'm ready to go. I have all my stuff. <laughs> like, I just hope it's not a stillborn. So there's nothing I can do. Give me something like get this puppy out in time so I can truly try to save it. But uh, just something to keep in mind. It's just the reality. The harder the puppy is to get out, generally there's an issue. But we don't interfere. We don't want to delay labor. Again, stop with all the talking and touching. And especially if then she's focused on you and not doing really good pushes. I find that you may have to just actually step outside the whelping box and even turn sideways and not look at them. They're looking at you and they're like, are you looking at me? Am I doing the right thing? You know, like they really are wanting to please you and not understanding why you have this anxiety or excitement. Um, I'll even just, I do it well. I just sit and look at my phone with kind of one eye on them. And then they, it's amazing. They'll start to do their own thing and out comes the puppies. So just something to keep in mind too. Am I putting too much emotional pressure on this dog? Am I delaying things and changing the way she would do do things? Okay, uh, amniotic fluid will appear for, before. I can smell it before the first one comes. I can smell the amniotic fluid. I know we're getting close. They will lose some amniotic fluid. If it's clear, you're fine. If it's green, still don't panic. I've delivered hundreds of puppies with green placentas and amniotic fluid, green, lots of green, right? Like, like, why is it all green? It's generally because mom was very close to the due date and we are starting to have some detachment and expiration of the placentas, but it's nothing to panic about yet. I've absolutely not lost puppies because of any green. I do not panic anymore. I just like, yeah, this, this dog was right. It was time to deliver. Mental note, we could have a stillborn, but it doesn't mean that we will. If your female delivers kind of early, like the one I was I was just talking about, we were at seven, six and a half days, almost seven days early. We made the mental note, Kelly and I, that um, what caused the labor to start could have been a dead puppy. So, it, you know, the, those late labor, early labors and delivery, it could note there's something wrong, but just don't panic, I guess, more than anything. If you see green, I don't panic unless it's bloody. Um, you know, also a lot of blood is coming out and it's not associated with cords. There shouldn't be a lot of blood other than placentas bleed, the cord will bleed, but there shouldn't just be blood. Uh, then there's something wrong and that would definitely be straight to the vet. But green uh, fluid and clear fluid is, is all no very normal, really. Uh, so don't panic. Um, head or feet first is normal. I know for humans, breach is a bitch, but dogs deliver a lot of Tails and feet first, they generally do just fine. Again, you've got your coconut if you need to lube a little bit to help them. It's easy to grab the hips and help 
a gentle pull when they push and get little peanut out. Um, just be very careful. You don't really rip it unless it gets to the point where, you know, this puppy's dead or something that you have to be a little more forceful. But I always, I always start real gentle first and uh, try to let things be as natural as possible has always been my motto. Letting mom handle as much as she wants to handle, giving her the opportunity to break open the sack. I do get a little anxious. I'm going to admit that is a downfall of mine when they are laying in the sack and you can see them moving and the mom is just sitting there. I'm like, you're making me a little nervous. I usually, I try, I'm going to, I try to tell myself like, wait a minute, it will be fine. A whole 60 seconds. I cannot wait a whole 60 seconds. I just can't do it. I'm breaking open the sack. I break my own. I break my own rules. So I'll just be honest. I know my shortcomings. I have anxiety and it makes me a little nervous when they're in the sack. So I pull it open. It's fine. Wipe the face down. I won't even necessarily pull it all, the whole sack off, especially if it's a first time mom. I'm really trying to encourage her to do the damn thing herself, right? Like, come on, help me out here. Do your baby. Uh, clean it and keep reassuring them. And don't forget to give them positive praise to like, yes, you're doing a good job. And yes, yes, yes. Uh, eating placentas. I know some people are like, don't eat the placenta. I don't, I'll just, I don't understand why. Like it's nature's way, right? It's, it's nature's way. They should eat the placenta. It will give them a little bit of black tarry diarrhea, but I really believe in the nutrients and the value of placental eating. Now, if they refuse to, well, of course, I'm not going to make them. If they only want to eat half, it's totally up to them. So I follow their lead on that, but I would never, ever stop a female from eating a placenta. Unless sometimes they swallow it whole and kind of choke on it and stuff. And if they're just being silly about that, I may throw one away. If the placenta is really green, I'll pick it up and take it if they haven't eaten it as well. Like, you know, let's kind of use your judgment there. But I don't, I don't understand the philosophy of not letting them eat the placenta. They're supposed to. These are dogs. It's nature's way. It gives them vital nutrients and energy after the stress of delivery. You know, many moms, it's a 24-hour, 48-hour ordeal. I don't know why we wouldn't want to give that nourishment back to them the way it was intended to be. That's my philosophy. Uh, okay. You're going to document all your stuff. So get a good uh, a good check at the clock as close as possible when that puppy was born. Because then again, we don't uh, want two hours of pushing from the time that puppy came. The difference is puppy came and it's been three hours, but no pushing. I'm not worried if mom is not distressed. One, the mom could be done. But if you know there's another puppy in there, it's okay there's nothing that could be wrong unless, well, I can't say that, but we don't panic if uh, mom's content and there's no pushing. We have had delays of three hours in between puppies. It just can happen. We've had delay of four hours, actually, in between puppies. We've had I even potentially longer. We've cleaned up the mom. It was several hours later. We thought she was done, and we came in the next morning, and there's an extra puppy. You keep counting, and you're like, did I forget to put a ribbon on one? Like, what the hell? Like, the reproducing out here. Like, an extra one popped out, and then mom did fine, and there's an extra puppy. And the whole time, you're like, Help. it's so funny. We're all helping them. We're tying cords. We're breaking sacks. And you walk away. You come back later, and there's a puppy. And they're sitting there like, you ding-dong. I, I could have done this the whole time myself. And I'm like, I know. I know, like you really probably could have. There have been every once in a while we have a mom start to deliver, even a first time mom, thank God, it doesn't always go this way. There she is with her litter of puppies, proud as can be. And I'm like, well, didn't need me, did you? I'm like, good job. I wish it was all that easy. <laughs> can we just all do it yourself, please? That's stressful for me. 
Uh, thank God Kelly loves doing it. But so I, you know, it's, there's no hard, fast rules. I always look and think, mom, are you in distress? If you're not, then we'll just let this be. If you know there's a puppy in there, then of course, you know, you're going to want him to push it out eventually. I used to be really stressed out about placentas because I'd hear everybody talk about a retained placenta could kill your female. I'm here to tell you today that over 1,500 puppies Retained placentas have never, ever been an issue. And this is really why. One, they usually come later. They can come 24 hours later. Talk about another heart-wrenching, your heart-dropping moment when you peek into the whelping box and you see a placenta there and you think it's like something. <laughs> How can he's laughing? Because she knows. You're like, shit, I got a deformed puppy. Like what? Like literally your heart will stop when you see a placenta laying in the box. Like as it came 24 hours later, you're like, oh my God, what happened? Like there's a liquid, like seriously, like there's a liquefied puppy. Like it's the most horrible thing. I'm sorry. There's nothing worse. And once it happens once, I'm always a little hesitant, you can ask anybody uh, hesitant to peek in the whelping box because I hate to see a dead puppy in there and I hate to see even a placenta laying in there. Like it kind of, it will ruin your day. Placenta is fine. You'll get over it, obviously. But when you have a dead puppy in the box, it really is that it will change you in that moment. And that time going forward, every time you leave and come back, you're going to, your heart will be still for a minute. It will. It's just the reality. You're like counting. Like, oh shit, there's none under the blanket, none tucked in the corner. Like people just don't even understand what it's like. Really the first two weeks, every time you leave and then come back to check on the puppies, every single time it's this, my heart literally stops. I'm like, counting. Okay. Are you alive? Are you alive? No dang puppies. Some of them look dead laying there, but they're fine as can be. But gee, don't lay like that ever again. Like I'm scolding my two day old puppies. Don't lay in the corner again, ever again. I thought you were dead. So anyway, uh, placentas, they'll deliver them eventually or their body will reabsorb them. Um, We've never, knock on wood, had an infection or an issue from a retained placenta. I no longer count. I no longer stress. Oh, I'm, I'm, there's, if you didn't know, there's two horns in the uterus, uh, two separate sides, basically. And what a dog will do is it could deliver one from this side, but the placenta was still there. So the puppy came out with the placenta. So the placenta is sitting on this side of the horn and deliver two from this side. And you're like, where the hell did that placenta go? Like we have this magical disappearing placenta and you're stressing out while well, it's still on the other horn. So we need another puppy to come down to push it out. And all of a sudden, then, again, one of those fun moments of like a deformed puppy coming, the placenta comes first from the last, from a puppy and then the puppy comes. You're like, geez, don't scare me like that. I know, see, I'm just letting you know what a nutcase I am, how stressed out it is to deliver puppies in the first two weeks. I'm glad you guys can laugh at me, thanks. Puppies can bleed from their cord. I, I'd love to say in an ideal world, I never had to cut the cords. It's really best if mom would chew them with her teeth because it's actually better. But not all moms are super cooperative and cut on my time. Um, and sometimes there's just, again, that need of, hey, I need to work on this puppy. It's a, it's definitely slow to go, as we call them. And I can't have the placenta hanging off of the puppy. So we'll cut. You can pinch or cut, tie off and then cut. Cut far enough away, it's fine. You can cut the cord. You know, it's no big deal. If mom will eat the placenta and cut the cord, of course, that's ideal, but we don't live in an ideal world. So you may have to. If you have a bleeder, we talked about that with the stuff. Uh, you got to get it stopped. They do. And it, God, they bleed, right? Like it's crazy how much they can bleed. 
from a cord. Get it stopped. There is some evidence that moms that are really rough and pulling can cause hernias. So we're really watching that too. And I'll correct the mom. Like that's one of those times too, like knock it off. Like you cannot pull and eat the placenta like this enough. And if she's just, and then that's one of those instances where she'll swallow Here's a fun little graphic for you if you've not been there yet. She'll swallow the placenta, but the puppy's still hooked to it. That's fun, right? Like, whoop, she sw- Like, I think you're like chewing on it and gonna cut the cord for me and down goes the placenta down the throat and now she's all whoa, gagging on it because it's still hooked. Well, I had to cut, you know, I gotta cut that. But I really don't want um, her pulling on it because they can uh, cause uh, a hernia. Unfortunately, we have also had this is, can happen too. It will happen at some point. The puppy comes, but they're still stuck inside the mom, the cord, and the placenta, probably because the placenta is behind a puppy. I don't know why, but they're stuck. Like, they're literally stuck. If you can pull enough of the cord out, all clamp and then cut and leave the placenta and everything else up in there. Or we had a dog, Emma, Valerie, and I, she, every single puppy was this way. They were all stuck to her. I'm like, freaking every single puppy. Uh, so we just knew she'd deliver them, dry them off, let them sit there. They'd be nursing, hanging out, still stuck inside mom, essentially, until the next one came And then the next one would be stuck. Like it became this game. It was insane. So I'll get to questions in just a minute. So just, again, I don't panic unless I need to help the puppy. And then it's trying to, sometimes that cord is so tight. Like it stresses me out a little bit because I'm afraid the pulling on that cord is going to hurt the puppy. We've also had, if I could help from this ever, ever happening to you, I want to tell you when that a puppy is stuck down there, we're hanging out waiting, right? Because that's just what we do. I'm not going to interfere unless I have to. That's always been my my motto. So the baby's hanging out down. She was doing just fine, even nursing. But the mom had, I guess, had had enough or just didn't even realize. She went to grab her puppy and pull her puppy up to her and ripped it open. Like flat, their skin is so, so thin. She literally filleted the puppy right in front of us and there was nothing we could do. Her guts and everything came out. Perfectly healthy puppy. It was horrifying, absolutely horrifying. So now I'm very watchful (laughs) of making sure moms don't try to pick up and move that puppy that's essentially still stuck inside of her because it's happened and she she's a seasoned mom. She obviously didn't mean to. She's just doing her thing. Like, what the hell? Like, let's get the, you know, moving the puppy up so I can clean her. Um, and, and she ended up pulling her open. So it can happen. It does happen. Um, not to panic, but, you know, they have that thin skin. And so just be wary. If you have to hold the puppy, prevent the mom from pulling at the puppy, try to stop the mom from swallowing the placenta when you're still holding the puppy, like trying to avoid any trauma on that cord is ideal because they can tear open, uh, get a hernia as well. So let me quick catch up. Can you use, can you use the scissors to shred the cord? Like you would, uh, if you would curl a ribbon, Valerie, I don't know. Have you done that? I wouldn't. You have I'll tie off first. Like my little stuck puppies that are still kind of stuck. You'll shred it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if it, if it works, tie them up, rub them together and tie it off. Okay. And then I always clamp and cut the cords because I've had mommy hanging puppies from the cords. My vet told me that bilco hernias are genetic, are genetic all the way, but I don't really believe that. So 
My experience, I've never had a hernia from a mom pulling too hard. I haven't. I know people say that. I would, I would say, like you, they're genetic. We have specific moms that always produce one or more puppies a litter with hernias um, and other rough moms that we've never had a hernia. Puppies that have been stuck, moms that have swallowed the, the placenta and put a lot of pressure on that cord, never a hernia. So I am with you. I absolutely believe hernias are, I don't even know why I keep saying that because I've never had that experience. I shouldn't, uh, I guess I should say, watch out for the mom pulling on the cord because they'll open them up. That's the reality. Um, I've never had a rough mom. You just read it. You read it from really established breeders. And I guess that's why, you know, established breeders say it. I personally of all the puppies I've had. I've never had a hernia because of a mom being rough with the cord ever, not a one. And again, over 1500 puppies. So I, I absolutely, it's genetic. This, it, the same lines produce the hernias and then we see it consistently. So yes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the empowered badass breeder podcast, subscribe to the show. So you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. You can connect with Jeanette via email at Jeanette at badassbreeder.com. Talk to you next time.